This is the fourth week of our current message series, all about celebrations. And as we've seen, it's a fairly wide-ranging concept when you think about it. At the holidays, we celebrate Christmas. At a funeral, we celebrate a life. At Mass, we celebrate the Eucharist. All very different kinds of celebrations, for sure, that would not seem to have anything in common beyond the word, celebrate. When we celebrate, we might be doing so many different kinds of things, from the sacred to the profane, from solemn ceremonies to festive parties and parades. As we noted in kicking off this series, besides the holiday season itself, late spring is the number one time of celebration for many of us. We celebrate proms and graduations, end-of-the-year school traditions and rituals, retirement parties, award ceremonies. Here at church, spring brings first communions, confirmations, and lots and lots of weddings and baptisms. Celebrations are important. They distinguish seasons for us. They mark milestones. They're heart-healthy because they usually focus on the positive. They unify us. They create community as they bring us together. And as many different kinds of celebrations and ways of celebrating there are, they all have one thing in common. It's true. They all have one thing in common. Celebrations tell stories. Celebrations tell stories. They're exercises in storytelling. And ultimately, whatever story they're telling, our celebrations are telling our story. Whenever we celebrate, we're telling our story. And telling our story helps organize our story, helps us understand it better. In fact, the health of our souls so greatly demands celebration that God actually commanded it. In Scripture, we read, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, The following are the festivals of the Lord. These are my festivals. And then in Leviticus, goes on to name and describe the specific festivals or celebrations. Among the very first and principal laws given by God was the requirement to celebrate. And so we have Passover and Rosh Hashanah and all the others. These feasts celebrate Israel's story. In the same way, the church celebrates four feasts that are called solemnities every, every year this time of year. They remind us of four key truths of our faith and what's most important. So in this series, we're looking at these feasts and why they matter. We've already celebrated the Feast of the Ascension and last week, was Pentecost Sunday. Today, today we celebrate the chief mystery of our faith. You know, our faith brings many mysteries, like the mystery that Jesus was fully divine and fully human, or the mystery of his death and resurrection, or the mystery of his real presence, body and blood here in the Eucharist. But even preceding these mysteries and all the others, stands another that by its very assertion, by its very nature, is the chief and first mystery of our faith. A mystery of faith. It doesn't mean a, a murder mystery as in who done it. By a mystery of faith, we mean something that is true, but something that we can neither completely understand 
or even comprehend, much less explain. The only reason we even have and hold these mysteries of faith is because they've been given to us. That's called revelation. And faith calls on us to accept revelation within the limits and confines of human reasoning. As we said in the Seriously God series, it makes sense that God doesn't always make sense to us. A God we could completely comprehend wouldn't be God. That would be an idea or concept in our imagination. Anyway, today is Trinity Sunday, celebrating the chief mystery of our faith. God is one and God is three. Well, on the surface, you might think, you might say, that's good, that's great, but so what? What is it you want me to celebrate about that? Well, to be honest, this is far and away the most difficult weekend of the year to preach. It's a deep, dense, inscrutable topic, and pastors with any sense take the weekend off and go on vacation. <laughs> but here I am. Frankly, it would be easier to preach to you this morning about money or politics, but we're going to talk about the Trinity. Because the truth is that the Trinity has everything to do with the very nature of the church itself, what it means to follow Christ, and really, all aspects of Christian living. In fact, I'll go further and say the mystery of the Trinity encompasses the core value not only of Christian life, but of all life of life itself. Interestingly, that word trinity never even appears in Scripture. It's a Greek word that comes to us from the Latin, and it refers to the number three, suggesting a collection or a community, first used by the ancient Greek fathers of the church to refer to God. While that word trinity doesn't appear in Scripture, the reality of the Trinity pervades both the New and the Old Testament, as we heard in today's first reading. Nowhere more so than a passage from the Gospel of John that's always read on Trinity Sunday, providing some deeper insight into the Trinity and what it means for us. The scene that we're looking at takes place at the Last Supper where Jesus washes the apostles' feet, institutes the Eucharist, and then shares some final instruction before he goes to the cross. Jesus said to his disciples, I have much more to tell you, but you cannot bear it now. The apostles had been with Jesus for three years. They followed him everywhere he went. They listened to him preach and teach. They saw him perform miracles and work wonders, and despite that intense time together, Jesus tells them they still have much to learn. When it comes to our faith and following Jesus, we all have much to learn. And there are many ways we need to grow. This is characteristic of Christian living, to be increasingly transformed into a Christ-like character. But we can only learn so much at a time. Learning to follow the Lord is a journey that takes time, really, the whole of our lifetime. God gives us lessons when we're ready for them. And because there's so much to learn, we have to keep following, keep 
growing, keep learning. And so he goes on to tell us how. But when he comes, the spirit of truth will guide you to all truth. The spirit of truth will guide you. Turns out we follow Jesus through the power of another person of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit, as we discussed last week. The Spirit can guide us in living like the Lord by loving like the Lord. And that's not flat or one-dimensional. Jesus wasn't just nice. Being a Christ follower isn't only about being nice. Nice is nice. It's just not enough. Jesus was love in action, and his love was far from flat or one-dimensional. Sometimes his love did look like kindness and compassion. Sometimes his love looked merciful. Other times he was challenging. With a woman caught in adultery, he was kind. With a thief on the cross, he was merciful. With the religious leaders, he was challenging and sometimes demanding. Sometimes love has got to be tender and sometimes it's got to be tough. How do we know the difference? If we want to be truly loving people, how do we know the difference? Well, we can actually rely on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our guide, our counselor, who can give us the wisdom and understanding moving forward that we need to be truly loving people. It can happen in prayer. Anyway, to complete this reference to the Trinity, Jesus concludes in his final instruction to his friends, everything that the Father has is mine. God is first of all Father, Father who lives in a community of love with Son and Spirit. And in each person of the Trinity, we see the result of the overflowing of that love. God is a Father who is creator, but he didn't need to create the world because he was lonely or because he wanted something to do. He created out of love to share his love. God created the world out of love, but for love to be love, it's got to be freely chosen. So God gave us free will. And we know how that turned out. Our first parents chose selfishness and self-centeredness instead. A pattern repeated over and over again in every generation. And God, God could have left us all alone and on our own in our selfishness. Instead, God so loved the world that he sent his only son to show us what it means to love one another. Jesus laid down his life dying on the cross. But even then, he didn't leave us all alone. The Father and Son sent the Spirit to guide us in the way of love as we just said. On Trinity Sunday, we celebrate the roles each person of the Trinity fills on our behalf. But more than that, we celebrate the truth of who God is and what that means for the truth of who we are. Since God is a community of love, it means that our basic purpose and our highest purpose is to love others. But what does that mean? We can't possibly be in love with everyone. What does it mean to love one another? Well, may I propose this definition very simply, loving others is being for others. Being for others and not against. 
God, in his essence, is a community of mutually self-giving love. And because God is love, that's why nothing bothers us more than when we encounter self-centeredness in others. And that's also why our own self-centeredness can never, never, ever bring us satisfaction. At the very core of reality is a loving community. It's the origin, the source, the summit of everything. And when we focus only or even primarily on ourselves, we're fighting against reality. We're fighting against the way things really work. We're fighting against God. To really enter into this reality, of course, we got to live it. It's no good. It's no use just talking about it. So here's my question this week. Where do you need to be at least a little less self-centered currently? My guess is that in simply asking that question, you've already got your answer. What specifically could I put aside, give up, or stop doing to be more for someone else in my family, among my friends, in my small group? Maybe Maybe instead of checking out when your spouse needs to talk, you check in and actively listen. Maybe instead of waiting to be asked to clean up after dinner, you go ahead and do it anyway. Maybe instead of avoiding your nosy neighbor, you deliberately cross paths with her. Maybe instead of gaming all night, you actually play a game with your siblings. Beyond the community of our friends and family is the circle of our church family, where we're also called to love one another. And if you've been around here any amount of time at all, you know there are myriad ways to serve in mission and ministry. And as we never tire of saying, this kind of service is absolutely essential to growth as a disciple. And just so happens, I have the perfect opportunity for you today. This is the time of year we're always looking for additional volunteer ministers to staff our next generation programs in the fall. We have a huge kids and student ministry that runs all year long, and it takes many, many hands in many different kinds of roles and jobs to help make it happen. You know, a lot of people are worried about how COVID has negatively impacted the next generation. But as a member of this parish, you can do something about that. Ali from our staff will join us after communion to tell us more, but here's what you can do now. We invite you to text the word NEXTGEN to 88877. That's NEXTGEN to 88877. When you do, you'll be prompted by text message to recommend yourself or someone you know who could serve, who might serve potentially in our kids and student program this fall. We'll take it from there. You know, whenever, however, we forget about ourselves, if even for just a little while and look out for someone else instead, every time, whether we know it or not, every time we're cooperating with the dynamic 
life and love of the Most Holy Trinity, and that is amazing, definitely worth celebrating.